Welcome, specialists, coaches, dads of kickers, moms of punters, relatives of long snappers, and dogs that check kickoffs to the Iceman Kicking Podcast. It's the show with cold questions and even cooler guests. We are here to talk about the ins and outs of special teams and specialists. And I am your host, Brett Arkellian. Before we get into the episode, a few reminders. We encourage you to tweet about today's episode. Tag us at Iceman underscore kicking and use the hashtag Iceman Kicking Podcast or Cool Under Pressure or Big Kick Energy to let us know what you enjoyed about the episode or any recommendations for who you'd like to see on the podcast next. Also, if you are interested in any of the fantastic information discussed here today, you can find all of this and more in the Kicker's Bible. Proven training methods and secrets used by professional specialists by yours truly, Brett Kellyan. It includes tips from over 20 NFL specialists, along with numerous personal accounts from Eagles Hall of Fame kicker David Akers and current University of Florida analyst and ex-NFL kicker Shane Graham. Visit IcemanKicking.com or go to our Twitter bio to purchase your copy today. Now sit back and get ready for one cold episode. You know, if we were last in the country returning punts, I might not be on the podcast. So shout out to the uh, R&B team. Hey, and everyone listening, man, y'all order my dog's book, man. Y'all stop playing with my guy, man. Iceman Kicking, go get the book, The Kicker's Bible. Order the thing. Support this young man. right? On today's show, we have Coach Brian Jackson. Hailing from Alabama, Coach Jackson has helped the specialists all over the country. He's had 12 specialists make it into the NFL, and as well as 350 specialists make college football rosters. Coach Jackson, known as Kicking Coach of the South, is unique that he's not only played professionally for nine years, but he has also coached specialists properly, developing their skill sets. Coach Jackson has many collegiate contacts, and the number of specialists he's progressed to the next level is revolutionary. Today I'm very excited for the guest we have, uh, someone who's been in my life, in my kicking life for the last 10 years, Brian Jackson. Brian, welcome to the cold seat. <laughs> What's up, Brett? <laughs> Good to have you, man. I'm, I'm more blessed than I should be, uh, and I'm super excited to uh, have you on here. Now, let's go back a little bit way before the uh, kicking camp days and when you're training, take me through your process of kicking. You know, I know you worked out with your dad and, and your upbringing in Alabama up, up and through uh, high school, college, and then eventually professional football. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, you know, I was, I was raised here in Dothan, Alabama. It's in the southeastern corner of the state. I was actually born in Wisconsin, but my uh, my dad and, and family worked for for the army for the for the government and moved around a lot. So I think when I was like three or four years old, I moved down to Enterprise, Alabama, which is right next to Dothan, and that's where I was raised. And uh, as most kickers, the you know, majority of us uh, played soccer at a young age. Watched my older brother play soccer, so I wanted to play. And um, again, similar to most kickers out there, was the was the free kick guy, the corner kick guy you know, even attacking mid, come back, kick the goal kick, you know, type guy. So, uh, hated football. I uh, thought football was stupid growing up. 
Uh, I thought soccer was the sport. Uh, liked baseball until I got hit, you know, beamed three times in the back by a future major leaguer, a first rounder, uh, Clint Robinson. So quit baseball. And then uh, same old story. Uh, coach saw us, saw a kid kicking a soccer ball. You know, football coach did. I was at practice with my older brother. I was an eighth grader. Uh, we didn't have a JV team at the school I was at at the time. And so uh, my dad was a soccer coach there. Football coach was the, the school rep, school sponsor. And so he was learning a lot from my dad as far as, you know, soccer coaching and whatnot. And said, is that your, is that your youngest? And my dad said, yeah. I said, he can kick the ball pretty good. And he was like, yeah. And does he want to kick a football? And he asked. And so uh, anyways, you know, the, the coach, Coach Lada is his name. Uh, he's still here locally where I'm from in Dothan. Um, he just said, you know, you don't have to hit anyone. Just come out, and I want you to try to compete with the uprights. You know, that was his big word was compete. And so I think that kind of, like, triggered me. Like, that kind of – I was like, all right, I kind of like that. Like, I'm just competing with the uprights. And so at that point, you know, came out and kicked a couple times with him and my dad. I really liked it. Uh, I did ask him, like, so I don't have to hit anyone. Like, I don't have to get tackled. Like, you know, in soccer, a slide tackle, I was cool with, shoulder to shoulder. I'm cool with all that, going up for a header. But the whole wearing pads and just bulldozing each other, I wasn't a big fan of. That seemed kind of scary, just being honest. And so um, after the funny thing was, after I really was getting into the kicking thing, you know, leading up to my freshman year in high school, um, I ended up being like the second string running back because he liked a short, stockier guy. And we ran like, I don't know if it's called a wing tee or whatever, but I was like the left back. And so it, it, it was really awkward getting hit. And I, I just was not a fan, just did not feel good. You know, most people are like, it feels good to hit. And, and so I just told him no. And so um, played as a varsity guy, as a freshman. Um, I'm a shorter, stocky guy. Uh, Martin Gramatica was a guy that I looked up to uh, growing up because he was a short guy. Um, he wasn't as thick. He was more like 165. And so I think the thought of like seeing him hit a 65 yard field goal or whatever it was at Kansas state and being so, you know, tiny, um, it kind of made me think like, maybe I can do that. You know? And then, and then I started watching football more Auburn, Alabama are the, are the big schools down here. So really enjoyed watching uh, both teams. And then that's when I started seeing Adam Vinatieri, you know, uh, obviously a, a name that's pretty huge in our industry. And so that's kind of where I latched on to watching him and, and Matt Bryant. You know, those are kind of the three that I like to watch, you know, because they were, you know, I thought Vinatieri was shorter like, like Martin until I met him in person, you know, four years ago at the Super Bowl. We did a little collaboration, and I didn't realize, like, like damn, this guy's six foot and rock solid. Um, so I always thought he was kind of a shorter, stocky kicker. But uh, anyways – so seeing those guys kind of inspired me and, and made me confident in, in kicking and aspiring to play college football, you know, and that's where my parents uh, around sophomore year in high school, they just said, Hey, like, look, we have to kind of make a decision here because you've been doing ODP soccer. You know, you made it to the regional pool in the Southeast, which is, which is quite the feat because there's so many States from Texas to Carolina to get the regional pool of ODP soccer. You know, you didn't make the regional team, you know, there's 12 soccer, there's 22 soccer players in a college team and they divvy up 11 full scholarships between 22 dudes. 
But in college football, you have opportunities for full ride athletic scholarships and you're really good at this kicking thing. There's a lot more schools to choose from. What do you want to do? And so then at that point between sophomore and junior year in high school was, you know, we took away travel, soccer. Um, we just, we just did high school soccer, which down here in Alabama is in the spring. And then we just focused in on football kicking my last two years. So, you know, I was a four-year starter at uh, Northview High School here in Dothan, Alabama. It was a part of a 21-game losing streak. So there were several games, Brett, where I only kicked the kickoff to start the game or the kick at the, at the half. Um, but one, one coach, and one of my classic things that you've heard me say is, you know, you can get 99 no's, but all you need is one yes. You know, and so after sending 50 VHS tapes to random schools and the FBS, mid-major FBS, FCS, D2, D3, um, Ball State was the only one that called uh, in November as far as offering a full-ride scholarship as being, like, the number one guy. Um, I was a question about that, too, is, first of all, you hit on a couple good points. Uh, let, me, let me go ask about your – the soccer days or just make a remark about that when I was teaching and coaching uh, you know I'd always talk to my guys uh, you know younger kids and say you know let's look at the opportunities here for football you know there is a ton of money in football it is what it is you know in college football there's a ton of money there uh, for kids and opportunities my brother for example is an all-state soccer player in California which is an incredible feat it's very competitive soccer is a big sport out there and the only offers he got was from, you know, a small scholarship from a Division II school in Hawaii and walk-on opportunities. So you look at someone like me who was not nearly as talented or uh, garnered, you know, any awards, and I ended up getting a full scholarship ride. So I think that's very interesting, you know, that debate between soccer and football at that level. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean – uh, it's funny because the same conversation still happens to this day that's happened 17 or 18 years ago, you know, it's, and it's happened like that the last seven or eight years where I've been actively involved in kicking camps and kicking trainings where the dad and the mom will, will have this conversation. And I would, you know, I just like, well, to my knowledge, it's still the same thing scholarships wise. There's a couple of minor differences, but you know, best chance is to, is to go the scholarship. I mean, you look at Jack Martin, who you've seen in person, you know, a few few times, and he was a great soccer player. He could have been a fantastic defender, um, but you know he he just has a phenomenal leg. And so, you know, full ride offers to FIU, Troy, and South, and you know he's doing pretty good at Troy. So no doubt, and I'm definitely going to bring him up a little bit later in our conversation. All right, so you sent all this VHS. I don't mean to date you here, but you brought it up. You sent out yeah. all these VHS tapes, right? so random that you know school in indiana did you hit all the mac what what was ball state why ball state so my parents did a pretty cool thing you know you're talking about 2001 2002 um in our computer room they put up a a bunch of poster paper it covered up our whole wall like from like i'd probably say like five or six yards in width and went down <clears throat> and on the left-hand side, we put 50 schools, okay? As far as our, you know, we had, we had one column here and it had all, all 50 schools. And then, you know, as you're coming across, the other columns were basically like, you know, did you go on an unofficial visit? 
Did you get a phone call? Did you receive a handwritten letter? You know, did you receive a generic letter? You know, did you get an offer, a walk-on offer? Did you get a scholarship offer? Like we still had the same terms 17 or 18 years ago. Did you go on an official visit, right? And so I don't know where they got this concept. <clears throat> it may have been Carol White because I was really the only kicking coach in the Southeast that um, had a huge influence on, on my life and in our, our family's life and was instrumental in the success that, that we had. And so love Carol White. Um, we'll always pay respects to my first kicking coach other than my dad, um, as far as, you know, knowing the details of, of, this, of this, plenty of things. And so, you know, I think probably my parents put Ball State in there. You know, I, you know, obviously I would throw in the Alabamas and the Kentuckys and the Southern Misses and, and Troys of the world. And then I think, you know, what they were consulted by Carol White that told us several times is don't, don't put up 50 FBS schools you know, just similar stuff that we all have said to the young kids is just, you got to put some FBS schools, FCS, D2, D3, you got to put, you got to keep your options open. And so I think my mom and dad had put Ball State up there, may have put a handful of, you know, Mac schools in there. Um, it may have been Marshall because my dad was a big fan of Virginia Tech, uh, you know, big fan of, of Radford because that's where his sister went and teaches at. And so, Dad always loves the West West Virginia. He'll always say West Virginia, Virginia area, you know. And, and he's from we're, he's from Bristol, and so he'll always say Bristol, Virginia, Tennessee, because it's right there on the border. So I think he's always kind of had a soft heart for, you know, where y'all are at. And so um, I would I would be willing to bet he probably threw Marshall in there because Marshall used to be in the MAC conference, as you know, uh, Randy Moss days, and so maybe they saw. Ball stayed in there and, and threw them in there. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. It could be that connection, huh? I know we have the banners hanging up here. Uh, Mac Champs, 97, 98, uh, I think 2002. They used to run that conference, man. And those were, yeah, the glory days right right after they won the Division One AA uh, National Championship a few times with Randy Moss and Chad Pennington and all those greats. All right, sorry, got, got sidetracked. So you end up going to Ball State and you kill it. You're a starter. Take me through – uh, kind of briefly that process and how your experience was at Ball State. Real quick, just to help any like young recruits out there, do not stick your foot in your mouth because when a college coach contacts you and you're not expecting it, you you got to be careful on sticking your foot in your mouth. And, and it's tough when you're 17 years old, okay? But, you know, I had gotten that phone call from, from Ball State. They didn't offer me right off the bat, but I got a phone call immediately. There was no letter. There was, no, there was nothing. It was just a straight phone call to the landline. All right. And it was just, you know, hey, is this Brian Jackson? You know, and I'm like, yes, sir. And he's like, this is Coach Carlson, you know, and it was of uh, Coach Lynch's staff. Um, Joe Lynch was my holder. So I think it, I think I want to say it's Bill Lynch. Bill Lynch was the head coach. And, uh, but Coach Carlson was the special teams coordinator. He said, hey, well, I'm at Ball State. Have you ever, have you ever heard of us? Do you know anything about us? And I said, aren't you guys that D3 school, like, you know, up in the Midwest? And, and so he's like, uh, Nah, son, actually, uh, you know, we're going to be playing against Randy Moss on ESPN2. Uh, he plays at Marshall. We're in the Mid-American Conference. We're Division One. And so at that point, I was like, ah, I'm so sorry. I didn't know, you know. And so I think, you know, make sure you guys, uh, if you don't know, don't necessarily make a judgment call and, and say, and it's a Think three. about what you say first, right? Yeah, so dad kind of got on me after that. But, um, no, so I, I got the scholarship offer in November of 2002 uh, during my senior year. 
and committed four days later. Um, and that was after being the number two guy at Southern Miss and then the number two guy um, at Louisiana Tech. And so the way they did it back then, 17, 18 years ago, and I think a lot of the OG coaches will know this, and, and possibly you, Brett, just depends, but kind of the, the way things worked back then with scholarship offers and offers was like you have your one, two, three, four, five guys on your board, okay? And I'm going to call the number, my number one guy. Hey, Timmy, we're offering you a full-ride scholarship. You have two weeks to commit to us. And, like, the way I tell kids is, like, those days when you committed on a full scholarship, you were, it was like a firm handshake to that coach. Where now I feel like when people commit these days, it's kind of like a high five. Like, I'm committing to you. But, you know, you never know. I may decommit. And the head coach or the coaches may be like, well, we may offer this guy too, and the first one who commits wins. And which is, I think is tricky, you know, you know, so I think it kind of goes both ways, but I really liked it back then because everyone kind of knew the, the drill, you know, and so, uh, I sorry, Louisiana Tech was first. Uh, the coach, um, I want to say it, his name was uh, Trevino, I believe. I'm trying to remember exactly. Oh, it was Tony Levine. Tony, Tony Levine was, he used to coach at Houston. He was a special teams coordinator at La Tech. It was right when Scobie finished. Okay, Scobie was just finishing off kicking there. And they said, yeah. hey, you're the, he said, you're the number two guy, Brian. We already have a number one guy. We've already offered him. He's got two weeks. Um, if he does not commit to us in two weeks, be ready for the phone call. I'm going to call you regardless, but be ready because we may offer you and you, you need to be ready. And so literally that guy waited the whole two weeks. And then, you know, it had been like two weeks and a few days and Levine called me and just told me like, hey, we didn't have social media. So we didn't have a chance to see like, you know, Timmy commit or whatever, you know, you kind of had to wait for the newspaper or whatever. So, you know, he called and said like, really liked to, you know, I'm going to recommend you to other coaches and all, you know, if anything happens, I'll let you know. So I was pretty bummed with that. And I was like in September, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, fast forward, Southern Miss gets in the picture. My name gets in the picture there. Same concept. I was the number two guy, same thing happened. Okay. So, but when that, when that ended, we were kind of getting into October at that point, And I was kind of like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm done. Like I'm one of the most impatient people there is. And like, I didn't trust God at that time. You know, like I believed in God. I just wasn't trusting the situation and, and all. And so my parents didn't know what to do, you know, like with a dramatic, emotional teenager. Um, and so at that point I was kind of like, season's almost done, like whatever. And then we get the random phone call from, from Ball State coach. And it was the exact same thing. You know, it was, you know, we're going to see how you do in a week. Well, I only had one kickoff because we sucked and hit it in the back of the end zone. And he called the, the next Monday, put Coach Lynch on the phone. He offered and said, you got two weeks to commit. We have another guy. So be ready. You know, you need to make sure to make the decision. And so we did a bunch of research. And in four days, like, I have my mind up. You know, it's 20,000 people. They play in the MAC conference. Uh, there's two seniors, senior kicker and a senior punter. So I got a chance to get a red shirt. It's David Letterman school. It's a sports broadcasting uh, school, uh, business school, a lot of other different, you know, teaching school. So I was thinking like, sweet, I'll get a five-year degree. I'll red shirt and I'll get a broad sports broadcasting degree. And I want to be on TV one day, you know, so that was kind of my plan. And then uh, coach Lynch's staff gets fired. Okay. And now, so I went up, took a visit, got to meet coach Lynch and all them. Uh, Buffalo actually came to us. We beat them. It was snowing. Um, I never 
it had been a long time. I'd never seen snow at a football game. I've seen snow, but never saw it at a football game. Uh, and then like a week or two later is when their staff got fired. And then Coach Hoke, Brady Hoke, got hired. And then he honored all of our scholarships. Um, so he could have made the decision to say, hey, you know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to take you guys. We're going to recruit elsewhere. But he honored all of our scholarships. And so um, I got to do an official visit and meet him. And, and he told me straight up, he's like, and my family, he's like, I don't care if you're 18 years old. I don't care if you're 28 years old. The best guy is going to win the job. And so, um, yeah, so I, kinda, I guess kind of leaning into your question, that's kind of how things got going with Ball State. Yeah, you know, that's interesting, too, because uh, there's a lot of variables at play there about uh, when deciding to choose a school. Yeah, so, you know, deciding if they have your major, deciding uh, who the guy is going to be in front of you, deciding if I have to redshirt, if I have to sit, you know, how many kids go to school there. Those are all, you know, very important in deciding a school. I, I think that was really good that you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's that's what my parents ingrained in me too. To growing up is you know, you, and I, I don't even I don't even know if I was contemplating NFL. I I don't think I believed in myself at that point that I was playing in the NFL. But you know, they had said you got to make sure you have two or three degrees that you're looking at, and so that's that's important. So yeah, I mean, I you know, at that point, I was like, I'm going to be a sports broadcaster. I want to I want to commentate college football games. You know, you see Jay Feely out there repping us. You see Pat McAfee doing his thing. You know, so, uh, you know, obviously I've done my thing quite a bit too and still do, but, um, you know, th but so that was my plan going to, to Ball State was to be a sports broadcaster and it, it was a five-year degree, um, but things changed, so. Well, I think you'll still do it someday, Brian. I think you got a great platform and, and you're, you're going to make it. I believe in you. Now, um, so, <laughs> okay, take me through then briefly your Ball State experience. Uh, I know you've had a lot of great games where you, you know, you started and, and you guys playing some phenomenal places. The ball state was awesome. Uh, loved my experience there. Brady Hoke is an amazing man. I think he's still the head coach at San Diego state. Now uh, he's bounced around a lot. He's been at Oregon. He's been, he, he was the head coach for Michigan for several years. He's been with the Panthers. Um, but he was amazing. He was tough. He was a physical guy. Um, he played D-line. He coached D-line, even though he was the head coach. He loved special teams. He loved kicking field goals on fourth and short because he loved, he was a defensive guy. Uh, he expected you to do your job. He hated excuses. He yelled at you when you messed up, and he praised you when you did really well. Um, so for me, like, I owe a lot of my mental toughness per personally from dad – and mom raising me, but, but really like hitting home was the four years I was at Ball State. Brady Hoke and staff were, they're awesome. You know, I would say Brady's a coach's coach. He, I don't know if he's changed now just with this day and age, but, um, you know, he didn't care. Like I told you, he didn't care if you were 18 or 28, whoever was the best was going to win the job. And he, he like stuck to his word, man. Like there was no politics or no parents involved. It was just, here's the numbers, here's the ball flight this guy earns, you know, earns a starting job. So when I went to fall camp, I had, they would ask me what number I wanted. And I was a big, like, you know, Ronaldo. When I say Ronaldo, I'm talking about like the Ronaldo you and I know um, from Brazil, you know? So I was a number nine, number 10 type guy, you know? So at that point I was like, I get to pick my number. And they were like, well, you know, if you pick 
the number you want on your list, just understand there's another guy that has a number that's playing, you know, so if you end up playing, you're going to have to pick a random other number that's probably left on the list. I'm like, well, I'm going to redshirt, so whatever. So I picked number 10, and then we're getting into fall camp, and there's a senior on scholarship ahead of me, and there's a senior on that's a punter that's on scholarship that's ahead of me. And I fully thought that I was in a redshirt. I'll compete as best I can. Well, I, I'm a type of guy that's old school kicking that didn't know any better, only had so many people. We didn't have – 100 kicking coaches like we have now, which which I think is great because there's a lot of resources. But I was a guy that could go out and kick 150 balls and my quad would get kind of tired and that's about it. You know, like I, I could handle it. You know, I don't know if it was from kicking soccer balls from over the years, but it was like my muscle, my quad was like, was like groomed to withstand that amount of reps. And so Coach Hoke was a big, let's kick to the returners, let's punt to the returners, let's do onside kicks, let's hit you know, pooch kicks. All right, we got field goal team. And we had two-a-days back then, too, like a bunch of two-a-days. So uh, I was, you know, after week one of fall camp, I was like the last one standing. <laughs> you know, the other guys were all injured after week one, you know. Jeez. And, you know, that's, that speaks volumes to, like, how much college football has changed. Because, you know, I think about it now and just how, you know, I've operated with my kickers. It's like, Today, let's try to limit it three or four kick. You know what I'm saying? And and, now, and when you guys were playing, it's like, exactly. It's like a gladiator strength thing. Like, let's let's see who's standing after we hit 75 balls today. I still think it's bad these days. I'll be honest. Unless you got guys like yourself that can get in there and try to twist the special teams coordinator's arm. Like, I don't think people understand that you're exerting energy on a three-step pooch kick to a returner 40 yards away. You're, you're still going at the ball and you're still swinging your leg. I think the only rep that you're not exerting energy is like a no step or a pop, you know, or any dry rep. Any kind of one step kick or one step punt, you're exerting energy and force. In my opinion, in my book, that counts as rep one. So if you're planning on doing only 60 reps on a Tuesday practice in college, you have to account for any kind of one steps full steps, three-step kickoffs to the returners, uh, punts to the punt return team, okay, your actual field goal team reps. You know, you got to go over to the side field and chart field goals and kickoffs. You're going to get to 60 like that. And so I think a lot of people think, oh, my rep count is just my my team reps. Uh, you know, I think in my opinion, my book, as soon as you swing your leg one step or more, you're you're on your count. And, you know, I don't think guys need to be, like, obsessive compulsive, but I think, you know, you can get to 100 real quick. And, that, and I think that's why a lot of guys, um, you know, their legs are tired by, by November because they weren't making good decisions in August and September. No doubt. You're 100% right. So, old-time special teams coordinators, we're calling you out. No, that's, no you're 100% right. And, I've, and I'm lucky to be blessed to work with uh, guys that definitely understand you know, that, and, and just the interactions I've had with other people have opened my eyes. It's like, you don't need to kick every day. You know, there's a lot of dry runs and explosive drills that you can do uh, that, that work on your form and work on getting better. But, you know, a lot of guys like Will Rodriguez really opened my eyes to that, talking about um, J.J. Molson kicking off at UCLA. He didn't do kickoffs after week two in practice. And that's amazing. Now, that's a senior kickoff guy. You know, who and he had ninety a ninety percent touchback rate. I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, just one of those things that that's interesting. And you're right, maybe it hasn't fully changed 
uh, hopefully it slowly is for the health of our kickers out there. Yeah, I think in detail, like super, super detail. I think overall, you're absolutely right. Like the way it is now compared to the way it was, I think special teams coordinators have gotten way better on being more mindful of the reps. But if we took it another level on details, I still think it's not, I don't think it's good. I mean, I'm talking to several college kickers now and they're telling me the amount of reps they're kicking and it, it's, it makes me cringe. And I mean, I, I love a lot of these coaches. I mean, I, I love, I don't have any ill will. I just think, you know, like, I don't know what to tell a linebacker to do or a quarterback. I don't know what to tell the quarterback and how many times to swing is to throw his arm. I don't know what to tell him, but I, I can damn sure tell you coach what this kicker needs to do and what does not need to do. You know um, it's, it would be more impactful having a guy take his steps back and over and put tape down to see if he is hitting his mark 30 times than hitting, you know, 20 or 30 angled field goal kicks. You know what I mean? Like that's a great drill, do five of them. But, you know, what about in a game when, you know, you got to make a game winning field goal and your adrenaline's up and now you're taking your steps back and you end up three inches back and two inches left of your normal spot and you're wondering why your, your plant is too deep and too wide. Well, how are you going to know if, if you're not practicing that? Because the adrenaline's up. And now you're going to take bigger steps. It's little things like that. If it's not second nature, right? Brian, you are preaching to the choir. I'm loving it. Go on. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I think like that's, that's why the discussion has been going on, you know, with Jay Feely and Mike Hollis and, you know, other Darren Bennett, other guys out there that, you know, why don't we have more NFL D1 FBS? I would argue the rest of college, like why don't we have more kicking people, with these guys that have been in their shoes. And, and in my honest opinion, I don't think you have to play in the NFL to be these guys. I mean, I played in front of 110,000 people at Michigan, you know, in 32 degrees. And I made a clutch 46 yard field goal. And I played at Auburn and kicked off in front of a hundred thousand people, you know, that said war Eagle. Like I, you know, so I, you, you've played at three different colleges. You've done all three skills. You know, you've held, you've punted, you've kicked off, you've done field goals, you know, like, so a lot of us have been around a lot of good people too. You know, I've learned a lot from a lot of other pros and guys that know what they're talking about. So you have to have people that, in my opinion, that do have the credibility and that played, you know, uh, it may not have been NFL all pro, right? But I kicked between nine foot of posts for nine years. I can tell you how much of a mental mind gag that could be, right? But I learned a lot to be able to tell kids how to treat kicks before a game, not to, not to count their stats during a game. You, you'd be surprised how many people do that subconsciously. And when I mean subconsciously, like, yeah, you're consciously thinking it, but like, I think subconsciously these kids don't realize when, when you're sitting there counting your stats in the middle of the game, how that can just restrict you. You know, one of the best years I played arena wise was 2013 year five for me. I had a full-time job here in Dothan and I was just driving up to Huntsville to play for the Alabama Vipers, you know, and all I did was just do my job. And I knew that I was secure because I had benefits and, and my wife and everything was good. Drive up, have fun, kick. I wasn't thinking about stats, man. I wasn't thinking about being the number one arena league kicker to bump up and try to get back in the NFL. I was just having fun. Well, damn if that wasn't my best year statistically, because I wasn't sitting there counting stats. And there's plenty of guys out there that don't count stats, but I can tell you there's more guys 
that count stats than don't count stats. No doubt. And you know what? I want to talk about that too. I want to get your or your opinion. Uh, NFL kicking coaches, I mean, we've seen this discussion. We know there's a couple out there, right, three, four, five, uh, that you guys have talked about on the fourth down experience and even talked with. What is it going to take for these teams? Say, say there's five in the NFL right now, right? Can you name them? Uh, Tampa Bay, there's Boniel. Chris Boniel. Uh, so who you else got, you got? You got? You got Houston up in with the Patriots. He played at Southern Cal. Great, great kicker. Used to be a great kicking coach. You know, third party, just like us, right? Then he went to college, Iowa State, I think Alabama, and then you and then, okay. So then, um, now you got you got Jamie Cole that's that's doing some work up the Bears, right? Uh, Nate Kading has done a little bit of work, I think with I want to say with the Vikings. Um, there's one more guy out there. Uh, who is it? Um. So, you know, well, there's Randy Brown. Okay, Randy Brown. I mean, huge. Dude, I mean, the guys coached David Eggers and coached Justin Tucker. You he's the tell best kickers ever. You didn't tell that guy that he's not a good kicking coach because he's never kicked a ball. I mean, that guy is amazing. I, we, did a, we did a podcast with him, and I learned, I learned so much from him, man. Like, just the way – just even hearing – I've never met him. I just heard him on the phone talk, and I feel like if I was struggling in a game or struggling in practice and going through a rut, just the like his demeanor and like the way he sounded, it like connected with me and would make me feel reassured. And that's what I think. Like these people are like, you know, I put something on Facebook the other day. I just shared the, I shared that thing, that link about kicking coaches in the NFL. And someone had commented like, why don't you just get, get the kickers an iPad, just like quarterbacks, you know, and let them dissect the film in the middle of a game. My, my thing is like that that would be cool actually that would be cool to, to watch but like you and I both know if you're already messing up by game day like we're 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 like screwed like you need to like one thing that I learned from John Carney is you need to have around three to four swing thoughts on Tuesday and Wednesday okay and I guess in the NFL it'd be Wednesday Thursday right but by by game day, you need to be down to one or two swing thoughts. And that's what I learned from John Carney. I think that, and I call them verbal cues. He called them, he calls them swing thoughts. And I think both are fantastic terms. All right. So I thought that was kind of cool. Cause I, I explained to him like verbal cues, this terminology that I was telling him and he would say swing thoughts. Um, and I would, I would say, you know, guys have about three or four verbal cues at game day. And his, and his philosophy was like, I think I should have, three to four starting off the week and then get it down to one or two. And then they need to harp that in their mind throughout the game. And Ty Long was there at the time when we got to go see Carney for the second time back in June. And Ty expressed his personal uh, situation that happened. Nothing bad. Uh, just last year, you know, he was having to do all three, you know, I think you saw where Ty Long was having to punt, do kickoffs, do field goals, he was doing them all three at the highest level, right? And he's a big uh, swing thought guy. And he said some funny stuff. He just said, like, you know, I, I would not have wanted the ESPN NFL mic on me because all I was doing was talking to myself out loud throughout the whole game, and people probably would have thought I was like a mental head case. Um, but what he told our group there, Ty, Ty told our group was, you have to, like, for him, he, he like wanted to hype himself up. 
almost like say like you you are the best punter in the NFL. You are the best kickoff specialist in the NFL. You are the best field goal guy in the NFL. And he would tell himself that. He would tell him two or three his two or three swing thoughts. He would be saying out loud during the game. Uh, and I've never heard anyone say that before. I, by my junior and senior in college, I would tell myself my two or three verbal cues, but I never heard anyone say they were kind of like talking themselves and hyping themselves up. Um, obviously, the man did a phenomenal job last year. Uh, Ty's always been a, a stone cold killer when it comes to kicking. He was phenomenal at UAB, uh, killed it at the CFL. And I really loved hearing that story um, by Ty because that just kind of harps on the more you're saying positive things to yourself, the more you are telling yourself verbal cues or swing thoughts to be successful, the less chances of bad thoughts creeping in. Um, at the high school level, it's popular. At the college level, it's popular. If you see on the scoreboard that we're down by two points and there's three minutes left and we're driving on midfield, one of two things is going to creep in your mind. You're either going to be on one mentality. You can call it the mom mentality, whatever you want to call it. I cannot wait for this opportunity to drain this field goal. Okay. Or you can be on the other side where it's, what if I miss this kick? You know, man, I hope, I hope this kick goes in. When you start using terminology like that, your percentage is going to drop dramatically. I would even argue 50% success rate, you know, so I would be on the side of glass half full of, you know, good steps, good alignment, you know, hold your line, good, good contact, finish through. And that may be a lot of verbal cues. Um, for me, I can analyze that self, you know, for, for depending on the psyche of the kid and the maturity of the kid, it may just be as simple as kick strong. You know, Evan Legacy for Troy University this past weekend, um, you know, his biggest thing in the past has been not finishing to his target in the game. In practice, he can stroke it. But in the game, you need to finish and kick strong. You got to believe in yourself. And so I, I showed him a text from three years ago telling him all the stuff that I'm telling you, Brett, which you've heard this from me anyways. But, you know, he kicked strong this past week and he drilled a 47-yarder that was probably good from 60. And we were texting back and forth after the game. He was like, dude, coach, I did exactly what you told me to do three years ago. It just took me this long to do it. And I'm like, dude, I totally understand because it took me till my junior year in college, just like you, to get it. But we need to get the kids that are younger to understand that, you know, moving forward. I love that because I've always called them mental cues or verbal cues. And I have that in the kickers Bible. Um, and, and that's your spot on. Right. And, and so is Carney about that stuff is, is having one thing to help them focus. The other thing with that and makes a case for kicking coaches or, you know, quality control coaches at the NFL level that know kicking is let's have them there. So it doesn't take three years to remind them, you know what I'm saying? To have someone in their ear every day, uh, and it's kind of what I, I get to do is, is like, all right, let's remind them today your verbal cue or your mental cue is, you know, wide plant, lock out your ankle, wide plant, lock out your ankle. These changes, you know, and people say, you know, if, is it going to make that much of a difference? It's going to make a huge difference because you're in their ear every day and it doesn't take them a whole off season. I've told this story before when I was at a division two school, Lincoln, which you helped me get the opportunity there. Yeah. So thank you for that. But, um, you know, my first season went one for four. I mean, it was god-awful. And there was a whole lot of other factors that contributed to that. But, you know, I go back and, and I finally realized in the offseason, after working one day with my hometown kicking coach, Armin Tarigan, 
that my plant foot is angled totally to the right. Now, for some guys, you know, that's just how they swing. But for me, I was a straight on plant foot guy. It took me a whole season of kicking to realize, and you know, and one day to work with my kick coach to realize, oh, that's the main fix. I fixed that. The next season, I go eight for nine, led the conference in field goal percentage, and you know, ended up going to transferring to a Division One school. Can you imagine how big of a difference that would make in specialist lives if there was someone there for them every day? Absolutely. I mean, the quarterbacks coach has a position coach. Wide receiver coach has, I mean, damn, the fullback and tight ends have a position coach. All right, nothing against those guys. All right, but you're talking about people that are point differentiators here in a football game. 68%, I believe it said in the ESPN article there, 68% of the points come from kickers. I mean, you, you look at Bucker, and I know we're going to talk about Bucker here in a little bit. I mean, and granted, he's a stone-cold killer as well, but that's a lot of points, you know, and it's difference difference between wins and losses here. So why not have people that have been in their shoes that have the credibility that can that can help them? That's much better. I'm not going to go and tell you tell you how, what to do with your quarterback. I don't know anything about quarterbacks. I don't know anything about tight ends. I don't know anything about defensive backs. You think I'm going to put DBs through a DB drill? I'll look like an idiot, you know? And I'm not saying they're idiots. I'm just saying if you want a better chances of making kicks and, and putting punts in the corners and having snaps, laces quarter out or, or laces out, like, then let's, let's work towards getting qualified kicking coaches um, in those positions. It doesn't even have to be me. I mean, is that something I want to do? Yeah, that'd be phenomenal to, to coach the NFL level. But there's guys like Shane Graham out there. There's guys like David Akers and Lawrence Tynes. Now, granted, they, they played. All three of those guys played. You got Carney. I mean, there's some – Mike Hollis. You got all these guys that I would assume they'd probably love to go consult and coach at the next level. I, I assume, Brett, you probably have aspirations to, to coach at the NFL level one day. I mean, who wouldn't want that opportunity to, to do that and provide knowledge uh, and help guys out, let alone help teams win football games? No doubt. No doubt. And that's very well said. You know, I will say this too. There is guys in special teams roles or special teams assistant roles at the NFL level that have been around specialists. They may not have kicked or punted, you know, but they do pay attention. They do knew, know a good deal uh, about the fundamentals and especially uh, the Bengal special teams coordinator. He was like the only one I did a study and he's the only one that actually punted uh, that is now a special teams coordinator at the NFL level. And one of those names you mentioned too, Shane Graham, I mean, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be uh, at least a special teams analyst there in the NFL in two years, no doubt. You know, yeah. So yeah. Hopefully, no. hopefully we are trending towards, uh, you know, getting more specialist guys in special teams for kickers and specialist sake. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I agree with you. There's a ton of good dudes out there, you know, like, I coached at Division II Miles College in Birmingham for two years. And by the end of both seasons, you know, I knew everything and anything about kickoff coverage, punt coverage. And, you know, I already knew a lot about field goal block and field goal team. That was easy. But, you know, really the, the next level type stuff, you know, if you kind of correlate that to kicking, you know, very similar stuff. I didn't know how to tell a guy to, to run downfield and, you know, check backside and things of that sort. But, like, take some experience but again I still argue that that next extra level when guys are in the details just like a pitcher I mean what are you going to say to what you, you know and then in the past it's always been yell at them let's yell right 
they're already so hard on themselves. We're already so hard. We want to be perfect. So having someone yell at us is just going to make it worse. Now, should, should a kicker get yelled at for kicking the ball out of bounds? Yeah. If, if it's deep left and you put the ball a yard in the hash in the middle of the field, yeah, you need to get your ass yelled at. But, you know, if it's a guy that's normally drilling field goals in practice, he's been making kicks in games, okay, but then you're just going to just you go off on him? I mean, it's just, you know, you got to pick and choose those moments. I think there are times that you need to have those moments. I got yelled at plenty of times by Coach Hogue, but he – he was really good at picking and choosing when he was going to do it to me. And usually it was Sunday, the day after the game day, when he would, would yell at me in front of the whole team, which, you know, I had to take. But mid-game, he, 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 did, he didn't do it rarely. It, 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 it was rare that he ever did it to me. Um, Eddie Faulkner is with the, the Steelers. He's a running backs coach. He's never kicked a ball in his life. Doesn't, he didn't know anything about kickers. He was in his mid-20s at Ball State, um, he was the assistant running back coach. He The next year, he was special teams coordinator, running back coach. Amazing, phenomenal special teams coordinator. He knew how to talk to us emotionally. You know, it, it's like – and he's he was young. I, to my knowledge, he hasn't been around a bunch of kickers at that time. But he knew how to talk to us. Maybe he just had the common sense to, like, not completely bark at us and yell at us when we would miss a kick here and there. Now, if I'm missing a ton of kicks and I'm – shanking a lot of kicks like I got I need to get yelled at so I mean there are plenty of dudes out there that that have never kicked a ball or punted a ball that are fantastic coaches in the special teams role I'm with you I'm with you 100% and that's something I'm learning too is it's not always fundamentals of kicking you know it's balancing their emotions in a game time you know that's what our role is is, is uh, helping your specialists remain calm in pressure situations or putting them in the right mind state uh, in those pressure situations. So that's, that's awesome, Brian. Um, I want to fast forward a little bit. Uh, you came, I want to talk about how we met. Um, so, and I talked about this briefly uh, with Matt Carazelso, who's like our third episode here. I know you've had him on the fourth down experience, but uh, you know, I'm a junior in high school, I think, or, or maybe I'm going to my senior year as 2012 or 2013 maybe it had been actually after my senior year uh, no real opportunities I'd been talking to a few d3s down in LA I'm from California uh, and a division two University of Mary in North Dakota and there was maybe a chance scholarship opportunity so no real opportunities and I honestly can't remember how we came upon your camp but I'm like okay Brian Jackson very affordable uh, you know this guy has a great history of playing he played nine years nine years arena leagues yeah nine years arena league and uh that i'd met mac at the cal camp and so we're like all right well let's go to this camp he's coming to fresno california <laughs> shout out to my hometown so random at clovis west uh shout out to the golden eagles even though they were rivals then okay oh, so man. yeah we get out there and honestly it was one of the best experience experiences I've ever had because it was really one-on-one -on -one. we had Nick Maroney out there Mac I uh, forget who the fourth guy was from Indiana yeah yo that's right your boy what, what was his name I don't remember his name he just flew out from Indiana he never even kicked in college or anything such a great kid man he was gonna walk dude. on Indiana State um I yeah. loved him he was a great kid and uh it was a two-day camp I still have those clips man of and my you know, when I was teaching my students, I'm like, oh, my God, you had a mohawk and these 
Maryland State Pride Sox. Um, but yeah, you were just such a stand-up guy. And that was the first time you had shown me uh, the um, clip from The Legend of Bagger Vance, which you said you watched every night before your game. And I'm like, wow, that was the first time I learned about mentality of kicking. Yeah, I mean, so we had a sports psychologist come in every fall camp. It was the same guy. Uh, Brady Hope brought this guy in. It was for the whole team. So it wasn't just like, hey, come talk to my kickers, their head cases. It was, this guy's talking to everyone, you know. And it was the fall camp before my junior year in college in 2005. And that's when, that's when like, things went, you know, I had a good career. I played all 46 games, made 49 of 64 yards, you know, 64 field goals. Did, had a great career. But I would say I was really, really good my junior and senior year at Ball State. And it was after that when they showed that video which is just crazy. It's like, you know, just making a, a good kicker to a really good kicker, having just one or two little experiences like that. And so, yeah, The Legend of Bagger Vance, really good golf movie. I, th- I recommend everyone to watch it. Um, a lot of people that are probably like in their 30s, 40s, 50s have watched it. Um, young bucks need to watch it. Uh, just young college pros. I would argue if you're depressed in your job, watch it. Um, I've had to watch it in other situations in my life. Nothing to do with kicking. Uh, so yeah, once he showed that it clicked with me and, you know, talked about seeing the field and I don't want to ruin it for anyone else, but, um, all you need to type in on YouTube is legend of bagger Vance seeing the field. Okay. So make sure you guys watch that. But, uh, yeah, I watched that before every game at my last two years of college after the guy showed it to us and then every single arena football game in nine years. Um, you know, I was with the bears, uh, and, and rookie minicamp too. Um, watched it then as well. It was just any time, like I had, you know, I treated those as games, those can't, you know, because I knew it was a rookie mini camp. Um, but it was just a kind of a way to get me kind of locked in and zoned in and just kind of being able to see the field rather than just kind of like get caught up with so many things that are kind of coming in. You know, it's just a way, you know, you, you talk about Harrison Bucker making three kicks in a row the other night with all the different intangibles. You know, that dude was seeing. I don't know what field that dude was seeing, but he was seeing some kind of field before every kick, you know. That was amazing, and, and we will touch on that too. But, yeah, just, you know, it's it's amazing what, you know, that that one experience or that video took you from being a good kicker to a great kicker. That's the difference is, like, sometimes it's nothing physically. Like you could almost be the same guy physically, but if your mentality changes, that's when you become a great kicker, and that's – that video almost makes me emotional like I used to show it to all my young guys because it's like you know legend bagger vans see the field it's it's really about zeroing in and focusing on what's important in life and that was the coolest thing I think anyone's ever showed me at a camp thanks you know and, and it's about like he he's looking up to the other guy that's the stud pro and he's the amateur and he watches him see the field and his prep up before that kick you know it's a golf tee shot and then that's when it clicked for him. And then he tried it and he just, you know, he piped one right, right down the fairway. And so, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, when people watch it, they'll, they'll know. I mean, you, you have to watch it and then the volume needs to be on point. It needs to be up and you need to get keyed in on it because it does make you, it gave me chill bumps. It still gives me chill bumps showing it, you know, to kids. So. Turn out the lights have that the only thing on in there. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then I end up going to another camp of yours in LA and it just so happens 
uh, you know, that some school, uh, actually Lincoln University in Pennsylvania calls you up and they say, hey, we want a California Juco guy because the last guy they had had before was an all-American punter from San Diego. And you looked around and you had three guys that went to your camp before and go, <laughs> well, I got, I got three of them here. And it's so funny because even when I started kicking, I was not the first option. There was like, uh, I was in baseball P. There's a kicker competition and there was three guys they talked to and we both, we all went to like 45. We all made it. And they're like, Hey, you guys need to kick, but they weren't talking to me. They were talking to my buddy, Garrett Browning. And that mm-hmm. kid was like, no, nah, I don't really want to play. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll definitely play. They also hit up, um, one of, one of the kids that went to your camp, uh, he was a DJ, uh, living in LA. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember that kid. And, uh, he was like the first option and he was like, nah, I can't go to Pennsylvania. So I was like, I'll do it. It's that opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I have to thank you, Brian, because that opportunity ultimately led me to Pennsylvania Lake university and then led me to UT Martin and now led me to becoming a college coach. So I guess I have you to thank for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you were always fun. I, you know, you, you always had like a, an edge about you and like some swagger. So it's like, it's like when you see this kicker, you know, when you guys are looking at kickers and all, you got, you got guys that, that kind of go overboard with the, the edge and, and the swagger. And then you got guys that are, are very chill and relaxed. And that's good, too, at times. You, you kind of were a nice, happy medium. You had, like, some, some swag, some edge to you. you. You look like you were keyed in, like, the, you know, the nickname Iceman because you made a clutch kick. Like, but then you also kind of knew, like, when we're having a conversation, you were just a regular dude, too. So it wasn't like you were cocky but you were confident in your abilities. And I think that was one thing that was enticing and to be able to tell the coach, like the coach is like, you know, so is he actually going to want to come out here to, 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 you know, the East coast. And like, is he, you know, is he going to like the vibe here? And I'm like, like, dude, Brett, he's just, he's just going to make kicks, man. Like he's, he just wants to kick, you know? And he, I was like, you may be surprised. You may want to punt too. And so, yeah, I'm happy <laughs> for it. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. That's so funny, too, because, yeah, I remember calling it Lincoln University is the first HBCU in the United States. So he goes, you know, this is an HBCU, right? I said, okay, like, (laughs) that doesn't matter to me. And to be honest, that was the best two years of my life. I met so many fun people um, and some of the greatest, I mean, just some of my best friends. And I was never judged or looked down upon because I was the minority there. Uh, The contrary, I was a celebrity on campus. and It was super fun. Um, and I just learned so much there. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you for that, um, man. Yeah, that was, that was, but actually what you were talking about there with the confidence and th- that's a question I had coming up and I, I might as well ask you now, how do you evaluate these guys that you work with um, leading up to college? How do you eval- evaluate their mentality? You know, because I'm sure these college coaches are going to ask, okay, so what do you think? Can he make clutch kicks? You know, how does he carry himself? How do you evaluate that in just uh, kickers you work with? You know, it's a really good question. And, and you know, I've had several discussions with Lawrence Tynes, a phenomenal kicker in the NFL. And, um, you know, he's not playing now, obviously, but he was a great kicker, you know, Super Bowl champion. John. He, he, he had asked us, like, you guys need to, need to find a way to not only rank these kids and rate these kids physically, but can you rate and rank these kids mentally emotionally psychologically right and so um you know those are things that that like it's tough there's a lot of intangibles to figure that out um but to go back to your question for me personally it's just 
I really like to see how the kids react, you know, even if it's just a camp or a training or something like that, you know, like I'm going to see how you react over an, an extended period of time, whether that be six hours, you know, or whether it be a two day event, you know, I want to see, I want to hear if you're going to be making a bunch of excuses. Um, I think, I think that reflects poorly. If you're a big excuse guy, that's going to core, you know, that's going to, parlay into the next level i don't i don't see unless someone really hammers home the excuse thing that needs to get cleaned up quickly so okay uh you know a, a lot of college coaches know this right like these guys hang their heads you know uh, i was always taught from dad that anytime you miss a kick like you need to have your chin and your your eyes and your helmet up when you run off the field like and if anyone ever says anything to you, you if it's like, you know, what'd you do or what happened or like whatever, you need to answer the question, look at look the person in the eyes, keep your head and chin up. Don't 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 just keep running. That's like the that's that's where I cringe a lot is when when a guy misses a kick and the head coach just wants to talk to you, or the special teams coordinator wants to just talk to you, but you just keep you just keep running. That's gonna make the guy even more mad. You need to just stand there, look at the look the man in the eyes and just say what, you know. He's going to ask you what happened there or whatever, or whatever he says, even if he says, what the hell was that? Whatever. Like you just, just straight up. It, or, you know, I didn't lock my ankle up. Yep. Coach, I missed the kick. I'll do better next time. I'm sorry. You know, or, or whatever. Like, but the, the biggest thing is just eye contact. You know, that's going to go over way better than just head down. And then I'm going to sprint to the net thinking that the coach isn't going to get me. They're going to find you. They're going to eventually talk to you. So uh, I look for that at camps, you know, at trainings. I, I look to see how their body language is when they miss a kick. You know, it's very similar to college coaches like yourself. Y'all, y'all look for that. Um, I also, I also like kids that, like, they have a quiet confidence about them. Like, they have some swagger and some confidence, but they're not talking a whole lot. But when you get them to the side and you're having a conversation, they converse with you and they talk with you. I, for me personally, I really like those guys. If there's a kid that's just like talking my ear off before an event during an event after the event and he's he's back he's he's up and down you know that that bothers me personally now if the kid is kicking lights out the kid can kick and he just has a mouth on him right uh, the other thing that bothers me is if a guy's like just completely quiet like it's you know and there's a lot the introverts extroverts like we're all you know there's plenty of good kickers and punters that are introverts but you do need to develop the skills to have conversations because college coaches are going to want to have conversations with you and you need to be able to show a little bit of emotion and talk a little bit because they may question where your mind is at. And if you're just a quiet introvert type person, you need to voice that to the coach. You need to let the coach know, like coach, just so you know, I'm, I'm kind of just like a quiet, chill dude. Like, so if like my face looks like I'm thinking about something or I'm quiet or because I'm, I'm just not a talkative person. That's just kind of like my thing. Then you need to let the coach know because the coach is going to, at some point, he's going to wonder, you know, you miss a kick and you're quiet. You know, what's wrong with him, right? And so you need to, you, you know, I think personality, and Tynes and I talked about this, like I think the personality piece is, is pretty important too. Um, you can be all different types of personalities and be phenomenal specialists, but I think that needs to be communicated to the coach so the coach knows what he's working with. Absolutely. No, I think that's interesting. So excuses, body language, and their personality all are telltale signs of their mental state. 
And I would throw the fourth thing in there is, is when we have a pressure type situation. And as you know, at things that we do, we, we're not in a game, but, you know, we try to throw the pressure element. I, I think personally, I think having two people yelling and, and throwing things at you, how, that's not realistic in a game. Okay. You don't have people. Now, are there some D linemen and DBs talking crap? Yeah. I could probably count on my on one hand and the amount of games I've played in my life that I actually could hear that I'm physically listening to Johnny talk to me right now, right? In arena ball, you may have 100 people in the stands, you may have 10,000 in the stands. But like at Michigan, I couldn't hear anyone on the other side of the, I heard, I kind of heard noise. You were seeing the field. Yeah, I was seeing the field, exactly, right? Um, but true freshman and true, and true sophomore year, I wasn't seeing no field, you know? And I played at Boston College and pushed a kick to the right, but. I couldn't hear those dudes. So yelling at kid guys and getting in their ear, I, I, I don't think that's realistic. I think maybe having some noise, you know, like some, you know, some teams have put up like speakers when it's like a two minute drill. I think that's a great idea. Uh, they did that at Ball State there for a couple of years. Um, but also seeing them, the fourth thing I wanted to add to that, uh, Brett, was seeing them in a pressure situation. You know, now there's a competition and there's between three or four dudes. You just beat out 20 25 kickers. Let's see who's going to kind of key in on this primetime spot. So I think the pressure situations are, are important because, you know, that's when the adrenaline's pumping, just like when you guys are in fall camp and you got a heated battle between kickoff punt and field goal, you're going to want to see how these guys are performing when, when, you know, when it's on the line. Absolutely. You know, that was, you, you just keep answering all my questions, man. Uh, I was going to ask you, you know, how do you create environments for competition and to see guys, you know, in spots where it's high pressured situations, you answer that, that answer. So that's, that's really good. Now I want to talk about, since we're on technique and we're talking about, you know, the, the ins and outs, the details of this stuff, what is something that you see that's a, a misconception about specialists? In general? Right, so I got to give credit where credit's due real quick. Okay. So I've been around a lot of really good kicking coaches and punting coaches. Okay, and snapping coaches for that matter. All right. Carol White was the first person I was around, other than my dad, that knew anything about kicking. Okay. And so, in my opinion, she was one of the pioneers in the kicking industry in general and in the Southeast. All right. She ran several camps in the 90s and 2000s. Um, she ran the Auburn Kicking Academy for many years. She's the only female coach to coach Division One football at Georgia Tech. She was defensive coordinator. All right. And she was told, hey, go learn as much as you can about kicking, punting, and snapping. All right. She was kind of like the foundation. And so she taught a lot of phenomenal drills. She was big on core, plyometrics, getting in the pool, a lot of great things. I think as a beginner kicker, I learned a lot from her. Uh, I got to coach uh, her camps and be around a lot of other college people, learned a lot from them. Fast forward, um, you know, got to be around Michael Husted, phenomenal kicker in the NFL, phenomenal kicking coach. Got to be around Mike Hollis. Darren Bennett, Nick Gatto, all right, a lot of just dudes that just know how to coach kicking and punting that did it at the highest levels. Uh, you know, Nick Gatto is a 13-year arena football veteran, has one arm, and was making tackles. Another guy you need to get on this podcast, just a phenomenal kicking coach in Houston. All right, so I've, I've heard a lot of different things. I've learned a lot of different things, all right. One thing that made me feel good going through this whole process is no step drill or what I call pop now. Okay. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people do. Okay. I think it teaches a lot of great things. 
you know, one step drill, I would say is probably the most common warm up drill for kickers. Well, you got to make sure you know how to do a one step drill that aligns with your full step approach. You know, when you come back and over, you're doing a one step drill. Okay. When you go back to full and over, you need to make sure when you're getting to that one step, which would be your second step, you need to make sure you're hitting that point to make sure your one step drill is aligned with your full step drill. And so to kind of keep this a little more simpler, if I'm take one little step back and over, I got my right foot in front and I take a step and kick, I'm going to be real jammed. My legs aren't kicking your back as much, right? But let's say you're a full-blown three-stepper, okay? And you take a jab and your second step. Well, your second step hit here, but yet you do your one-step one drill here going this way. That's like that much of a difference. Okay, you know, key, key thing here, right? Like uh, I, I'm in DMs right now with Harrison Bucker, okay? I changed to a two-step kicker when I was with Gano with the Panthers, all right? He told me how much he liked the two-step approach and how it actually allowed him to kick farther because he didn't have any wasted slash inconsistent motion. Also watching Ryan Suckup helped doing the two-step approach. It convinced me as well. It took me a couple weeks to get used to it, but I really do like that. All right. So he goes on more. We kind of talk about this more. And I, I like a jab two-step. I like a full-blown three-step. I like a two-step. I think you need to know what works for what body types. And the second thing is I think you need, you need to know what's comfortable for the athlete where they're making their B-balls and, and A-balls. And another thing that Harrison said here is when he's looking at Gano, Graham Gano's film and Ryan Seckwith's film is the way I look at it is your last step is your most important step. Your second to last step is the second most important step. And if you have a third step, which would be your jab, then that's your third most important step. So I thought that was kind of cool to hear that from Harrison. As a tall kicker, he's, what, 6'4"-ish, okay? As a tall kicker, why waste precious space on a step that has the least effect on your ball? You could make the second to last step longer and therefore more powerful, and in a case probably more consistent because second to last step it could be very cramped and hoppy and he's saying he used to be exactly that in college okay and get real hoppy to save space which in turn would lose power uh for him to go downfield right so I thought, his power is going downwards right if you're hoppy and you're bounding we talked about this with david acres too is like your energy is going where straight down into the ground yep and you know he, he even talked about how with him and tucker all right you know you mentioned Graham and Suckup both have no wasted motion, which he's, he's dead on. You know, most successful veteran guys are like that. That's what's so odd about, you know, other really, really talented kickers too in the NFL that have a lot going on, but, but yet the ball is so consistent. You know, one thing too that we all have to understand, those guys are the 32 best guys in the world, okay? And yeah, there's some movement here and there, but you got to play in the league. You're, you're one of the 32 best guys in the world. There's thousands upon thousands of us kickers. All right. So not all of us are going to be Justin Tucker and Harrison Bucker and Adam Vinatieri and Sebastian Janikowski. Like, dude, that dude at Florida State, like 85-yard kickoffs. Some of these dudes just have genetics, man. Like, some of these dudes have the build and they work their tails off in the, in the weight room. Like, 
you know, Harrison mentioned that uh, in an interview with Pat McAfee just recently that he feels like he's just now kicking his strongest ball. You know, he looks amazing. You know, he's got huge muscles. The dude's leg whip is so fast. So you got to think like, first, you got to get the genetics you probably have some need to have some kind of background soccer or, or swinging the leg. There's plenty of soccer. There's plenty of kickers and punters that never played soccer. Uh, but you have to have some kind of background and then, you know, the weight room, uh, you know, nutrition, trying to build leg speed, get in the pool. There's so many things that you can do. Um, so I just think these guys have a lot of things going for them, but you also kind of have to know who you are. So I think, um, you know, again, I think a common issue out there, that I see is guys don't know what to do with their feet. Okay. And what I mean by that is a line that I like to use that I personally came up with. I always give credit where credit's due, but the line that I like is your feet dictate, dictate what, what the next, okay, your feet dictate how successful or unsuccessful you're going to be in the next frame. Okay. So if I'm punting and, and let's say we're going directional, right. Okay, we're going, we're going, we're going directional right. All right, I'm going to make sure that when I jab, if I'm a three-stepper or if I'm a two-stepper, I'm going to have, I'm going to be on my railroad tracks to that point. All right, but as soon as I open my foot out and flare, that foot is going to dictate the hip, and the hip is going to dictate the shoulder. So a lot of kickers and punters, the kicking coach like you or the special teams quarter may say, dude, like you're off your line two to three yards, like walk straighter. And they'll tell themselves here and up, all right, I'm going to walk straight. All right. And they still walk off their line, maybe half a foot this time. Okay. You need to realize what's going on with your feet. Your feet dictate what your hips do. And then your hips dictate what your shoulders do. So as a jab, as a, as a full blown three-stepper in high school and college, I knew even back then to jab towards my plant. My second step needed to be towards the ball and not opening my foot up to the holder because I knew when I opened up my foot up to the holder, that was going to open up my hip and shoulder. And it was also going to manipulate my kicking foot in the backswing. And a lot of kickers that come in with their toe back like this, not back diagonal, they flip their toe up on that right panel and you'll see an X rotation ball or you may see a ball that's floating left. So again, it goes back to the, the, one of the most common issues that I think to go back to your question, Brett, is I think that, that kickers and punters are not aware of what their feet are doing because their feet are dictating so much that's going on with their body. Well, you're hundred percent right with that. And that's really cool. I love any input. When you get input from a guy like Harrison Bucker, you know, he's right on the mark, you know, cause he's doing it and he freaking hit, four 57 yard kicks or three 57 yard kicks, you know, just a couple of days ago, but you're right in the aspect. I've seen guys, they're just guessing, you know, you're taking a one step and they're just guessing where their spots at. Well, no, let's be exact. You know, kicking is a matter of few, few inches. If you're a few inches off the sweet spot, you miss the kick entirely. So let's be exact with, you know, finding our one step. You know, I, I don't know if you showed me or someone else showed me, you know, taking your one step, how to find your spot, have a buddy, watch you do your full steps and then find where that drive step is right or that second step and start there for your one step or kickoff steps we need to know where our directional left and directional right kickoff steps are at don't just go to a spot and be like all right 
I'm going to change two steps to the left because I'm now hitting a directional right. No, you're going to be totally off. Find a spot that is exact. Yeah. I'm my true freshman year at Ball State. Uh, we were playing Indiana State at home. And I, I was watching film like during the whole COVID quarantine thing. Uh, and I was just laughing at myself because that first game, you know, I was just hyped. I was getting to start first year or whatever, first game, whatever. And it was directional right deep. And, dude, I didn't take any steps back. I just ran back to, like, the 12-yard mark. I don't even – and then I just, like, found a spot. There was no formulative, like – and I don't – you know, I don't think it necessarily has to be a perfect step back and over, but I didn't know where my spot was. And I just did a snake, and, you know, I kicked it seven or eight deep, right? But, I mean, it was just not smart. So you're you're exactly right. You, you need to know where your, your marks are, you know. I had that leg strength, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and part of it too is, and this is what I've heard from young who co who's, you know, the kicker with the Falcons is he took the way he found his steps is he takes field goal steps, three back two over. And then he marks that spot and then he takes his kickoff steps through that starting point, mm-hmm. you know? So maybe if you're looking to find your deep right from the middle of the field uh, kickoff steps, you take field goal steps that are angled to where you'd want to hit the ball towards that corner, and then you find your steps that way, and it might change it, you know, a yard or two. What do you think about that? I love that concept. I actually never heard that before, uh, and it already makes me want to do it to a few people. Um, to kind of keep spinning off on that comment that you made, uh, Stephen Yaffe is a really young kicking coach in our industry that's really doing a great job. Um uh, you know, I've seen him when he was young. Both both Chris Hughesby and I have been able to train him and coach him before in the past. And one thing that I really like that he's doing is he's just getting some really cheap shaving cream, and he's using shaving cream, which, you know, just disappears after, you know, a couple minutes or whatever. And he's he's giving these, these guys verbal – or, sorry, visual marks. And so that's one thing that I want to start doing here soon is, is doing something like that. I, I want to find the referee – stuff you know in soccer that they mark where the the direct kick is and it goes away after like 30 seconds yes i want that stuff brett because that just goes away but you know on grass i don't know how much shaving cream will will last you know it will probably won't mix too well but uh, i i like that concept you know it's better than putting field goal sticks and stands like that kind of scares me um i think guys will start tippy-toeing and being a little more scared the the shaving cream thing i think is great especially for punters man like dude just just taking your steps off six inches to the right just messes things up so much. It's just wild. And you're sitting there trying to focus on the drop so much and you're taking a a foot and a half steps off your line. Like, you know, there's so many punting coaches that I've been around that harp on the drop. And yes, I think the drop is super important. Um, I'm, I would argue that the steps uh, in depth and in accuracy, like as far as alignment I would argue that's number one and the drop is number two right here. All right. You know, cause I, I feel like if you can at least walk straight and have compact steps, if your drop wasn't as perfect, you still may, may be able to get it off pretty good. It may not be a perfect turnover or a nice, or a nice, you know, wiggle. It may be still inside, but still may get enough drive and hang if you're walking properly as far as depth and, and accuracy. Oh, you're, you're 100% right. And that's the one thing I realized too, just watching young guys work out is like punters, their steps are all over the place. And we, you know, we wonder why that these Aussies are doing so much better 
than Americans coming in and punting. And it's because their steps, you know, we have a ton of American punters. I know you guys do a good job of coaching it, but, you know, they're supposed to be in a straight line that left plant foot for a right foot punter is not supposed to cross. They're all the way over their body. These Aussies are, are working on it day in and day out, and their steps are short, they're concise, and they're in a straight line. And that's why they're more game ready, uh, you know, as a freshman than some of these American punters. Yeah, John Ryan, I mean, proved a lot of us wrong. You know, and I don't even know if they proved a lot of us wrong. He just did something that was phenomenal that I don't think a lot of people did. And maybe some of the OGs like Darren Bennett and, and Mike Hollis and these guys may know, but John Ryan, in the last couple of years of his prime, he wasn't punting spirals. He was directionally punting, and he was hitting end-over-end punts that were going 4-8 to 5-2 hang, anywhere from 45 to 60 yards. So he would hit end-over-end punts far and high where they needed to be. And I think it was some like astronomical number. It was like 86% of his punts that were like actual field punts, not, not the, uh, you know, pooch punts hitting inside the 10 or 20 actual field. It was like 86% were end over end punts. And just, that was for me, I was like, Holy smokes. Like I've never even heard that. And that was a few years ago, but um, uh, that that's what those guys can do. And I think he's from Canada actually, but uh, a lot of these guys, you know, you don't have to hit, perfect spirals I mean you see a lot of Australians that it's still trying to turn over and it doesn't but it's still a four eight four nine directional left and to coaches it's just about numbers you know it's all about numbers and and location you know okay you know one thing uh, that I took from Brock Miller uh, that's been punting and has been in several NFL camps he's out in Cali um, he he told us in the podcast that when you're punting, you want to you want to try to aim for three things, and this is what the Rams um, said to him when he came in. That he told us is that you need it. You need to hit your direction. You need to hit hang time. And you need to get your distance, and you need to aim out of ten balls in team. Nine out of ten times, you need to hit all three. You know, but if that one time that you didn't get it, you need to at least get two. You know, at the, at that level. You know, so if I can kind of correlate that to Division One FBS college football, like you could probably say, hey, seven out of ten times you need to hit distance, location, and hang. The other three times you better get two. You better get distance and hang. Or, or you know, if it's directional right, I'd probably, knowing you, you'd probably rather location and hang if it's going to be a 34-yard bad punt. Let's make sure there's good hang and make sure the location is there. And so – I thought that was pretty cool. Did he say what the distance and locate or distance and hang time they were looking for? No, but you know, seeing the guy James Harrison uh, with the simple kicking app has been really fun to watch uh, because he's been doing like after after each week he'll post up on his Instagram and Twitter like what the NFL punters are doing, you know, and some of them are hitting some bombs, but some of them are hitting forty yard four twos, which you would be like a forty yard four two in the NFL. That's not good. Well, his direction was perfect, like right on the sideline. And so, you know, I think, I think one of the guys was actually Townsend for the Chiefs in week one, you know, and I kind of thought like, man, 4-2, like I thought these guys are NFL. Well, like, again, if the special teams coordinator wants all three, you know, um, then obviously it works, you know. So, again, he didn't say any numbers, um, but, you know, I think if guys are still hitting four two forties, 
and they're keeping their job. And obviously he's doing a great job. And I think that's, that needs, you know, people need to understand too, that as long as you're fit in the scheme with what the coach wants to get done, you know, then, then you're doing a good job. You know, Jack Fox is killing it right now. I think he trained with, with Cody Mandel. Uh, I think his average net is like 52 yards or something crazy through two weeks. You know, I know it's only two weeks, but still that's, that's a pretty amazing net punt yardage, you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's coming from me, my last two years, you know, I was uh, mainly just a punter. That's all I did at UT Martin, which is an FCS school. And you know, my hang time was never, was never there. I mean, sometimes I would get a hold of one, you know, and be like, wow, that's a four, four, five, 45, or, you know, four, seven, but most of the time it wasn't even close. But my biggest thing was location. You know, everyone says, oh, I can hit a 60 yard ball, five, two hang right down the middle of the field. But how many people can consistently be accurate with it? And it was Brett Kern that was on the fourth down experience. And it was one of the best things I've heard for punters out there. If you guys have not listened to it, go listen to it. But he said, you need to have a ball that you can consistently hit four, four, 44 yards out of bounds into a trash can, right? Because if all the pressure is on, you know, and I really enjoyed that episode, if all the pressure is on, you need to be able to say, I can hit this ball. I can, it, it might be a right directional ball, you know, out of bounds. Um, I can hit this whenever I need to. Mm-hmm. He's yeah, he, he was phenomenal. And he still is just amazing. And he's a Mac guy. He played at Toledo. I played against him, um, but he's phenomenal. Uh, a pro. Yeah, absolutely. And he did a great job on your guys' podcast. And that was a great listen. Hey, one question I had, I, I think is very interesting. A lot of these guys you work with, and especially as they get older, they're going to have an ego. You know, I've trained with this guy. Uh, I've been with all these different coaches. I, I think I know, you know, even if they've only been kicking for, you know, a few years or haven't really had that much success. How do you balance teaching a guy fundamentals and at the same time letting them be their own version of themselves? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've never been a cookie cutter guy full like 100 cookie cutter it's got to be my way or the highway I think we're all made differently obviously um I'm not going to teach a six foot four guy the same thing same way I would teach a five foot six guy you know like you you also got to look at a five foot eleven guy that has long legs like there's just so many intangibles so if, if you have the concept my first my opinion if you have the concept of teaching guys the exact same way uh, I, I don't think that's a good, you know, guideline for kids. Like, I, I think that you, you need to let them be natural. A lot of these guys come from a harsh angle from kicking a soccer ball. Okay. You know, as well as I do, like a lot of these guys are, are have a soccer background. Okay. And so they come on an angle. So they've developed this angle to hit a goal kick, to hit a pass, to hit a power shot in soccer. They've developed that over many years. And then when you bring that into the kicking situation, most step out to the right and then come over to the left, you know, and they're facing the side sideline and the goalposts are there, right? That and then you gotta get you gotta get that out of them because they're so used to playing soccer. Soccer, you're going around, pass and kicking, you're not thinking of a precise step line to kick, you're just playing soccer, right? So you gotta get that down. Um, but I think for for me, like I'm gonna look at three or four like the most like important pieces. You know, like football contact, I think is huge. 
you could be the worst kicker as far as technique wise. You could look terrible kicking the ball, but if you have really good foot to ball contact, you can score points. You can make kicks. Like I was a hardcore deep plant crunch and my finish, my leg came up and then went straight to the ground. All right. I didn't have any kind of skip through and up through the ball and land on the plant foot and then the kicking foot. You know, I was very much hardcore crunch because I was short and I, and I felt in my mind in order to kick it far, I need a crunch. Right. And there's so many kickers that do that because you, and especially when guys go to the ground, I got to crunch even farther and plant even deeper. Well, really that's the opposite. You know, you need to be able to stand somewhat tall to allow that kicking leg to come through up. And, and I really got keyed in on that talking to Michael Husted and Mike Hollis. You know, that's where it really got keyed into me on working on the core, you know, standing tall to the ball and letting that kicking leg come up and through. Well, Hollis is a big chest guy, right? Big on having your chest up there. Yeah, he, he Hollis, is, Hollis is great, a great guy, um, really good. Obviously, his experience backs him up. Uh, you know, he's a shorter, stocky guy too. Uh, you know, he I wouldn't necessarily say stocky, but he's a short guy. Um, he was a little bigger than, than Martine. Um, but, you know, field, goal, field goals wise with, with Hollis and, and Houston, just really good form. You know, even, even Kenny Spencer, you know, you know, you know him now and where he's at, uh, just those guys, you know, Jason Myers, oh my gosh, you know, with the Seattle Seahawks. And you talk about if you want to watch the prettiest form out there, in my opinion, as far as the prettiest and, and the best looking, uh, that's him, you know, you know, Justin Tucker uh, attacks the ball very quick. Um, Upswing is, is phenomenal. Gets down the field a good bit. Um, but, dude, the, the dude's leg whip and just the snap, like he is so precise when he snaps his leg at contact. It's the same thing almost every time. And he's been able just to, to make that his form. And it's just worked out so well. I, I, Boswell looks very similar to him. Um, so for me to go back to your original question, you know, ball contact is one. Like if a, if a guy has a lot of issues, if I can just get him to get really good foot to ball contact, like that's going to be, that's going to be key. And then, you know, the second, the second thing is, is making sure we're hitting our marks. Like, so based off your body size and body type, you know, if you're, if you're a full blown three-step, which there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. If you can do it effectively that I did it for many years. If you're, if you're a jab too, that means you're just taking like a small first step and then you're taking two normal steps. You can make that effective. And Cairo Santos does that really, really well. He, he kind of takes a little bit of a jab. It's like a two inch jab and then two steps. Or you can be a full blown two step, which is kind of like Harrison Bucker, um, Robbie Gould, uh, Suck Up, Gano. There's a lot of really good two steps. You know, um, Sam Thicken, it's kind of like they just roll in they're rolling in off the, the jab, but they're not jabbing. They're just rolling in, and then it's the second and third step. And so, in my opinion, those are the three categories, and you're going to fall somewhere into one of those three. And then now it's just making sure you're on your line to the ball and trying to stand a little tall somewhat and transfer your weight through and then just zone in on a football contact. You know, you hear um, Harrison Bucker talk to Pat McAfee today and all he's talking about is the off season. All I worked on was foot to ball contact and rolling my ankle over. 
He said, you know, that's what I needed to work on to get my distance down. That's literally all he said. That was the one thing he worked on wow. technique wise. And that's so, really cool. And, and we got to see him uh, in, in May in Kansas. And we talked about all this kind of stuff. And when I saw him in person, the dude is just towering over me. And he's like a sponge. You got to think he's like in his young 20s. And he's asking me, what do you see wrong with me? I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Super Bowl champion right now is asking me what I see wrong with him. Now, granted, I'm 35. I didn't play at the NFL level. I was, you know, at rookie camp. But I played college and played arena ball for many years. So, obviously, he respected me enough to ask me which is cool. And I'm like, look, dude, like you're, you're a roll in two stepper. You, you look awesome. Uh, your tuck, your leg tuck in the back end is amazing. Your flexibility range of motion is great. Your, your flex toe on the back end is setting up a navicular bone contact. That just means you're hitting the, the biggest bone on your foot. Your ankles rolled over. So you're activating a huge quadricep mus muscle that you have on you because you're six foot four. So a six foot four quadricep those four sectors are going to be bigger than a five foot six and a half quadricep. I have big quads, but my quads are not going to be as big as Harrison Bucker's at six, four. Okay. You still need to look at the groin and the inner thigh. And this is a lot comes back to Houston and Hollis. Okay. Like a six foot four, six foot five guy. All right. You look at, look at Hoshka. Okay. He's more of a wedge kicker kind of comes in with his foot open on field goals. Okay. His inner thigh and his groin, those muscles are going to be a little longer at six foot five than a five foot six and a half, five foot seven kicker. My groin and, and, and inner thigh muscles are going to be a little shorter. So if I try to be a groin kicker, all right, and, and a wedge kicker, I'm not going to be as successful, in my opinion, uh, as far as distance. I may get the height, but my groin and, and inner thigh, they're going to wear out and tear. Before, no, before I know it. A guy like Hoshka and guys that, that wedge kick, okay, and they don't roll the ankle over, maybe his groin and his inner thigh can withstand the beating because of the muscle grouping that he has and his body size. But he also knows how to flip the switch on his kickoffs. He rolls that ankle over and that activates the quad. The wedge activates the groin because of your foot angle. When you roll your ankle over, it activates the quad which is a bigger muscle grouping. And that saves a lot more kickers um, because of the mass of the muscle. Absolutely. No, I think that, uh, and Randy Brown said it on the fourth down experience with you guys, um, that if a guy is making good foot to ball contact and 90% of the time that ball's end over end and it's making it right down the, down the middle, you're good. Don't touch him, you know, let him do his thing. And, and that was really good. That really stuck with me because you know, you'll see all type, different types of kickers and you're like, that is, that does not look right to me or that is not smooth, that is not consistent. But especially with the time you have with these guys, even at the college level, it's like we don't have the time once we got, especially with COVID and all this stuff going on, we don't have the time to change everything to make it the most efficient. You kind of just have to roll with what you got at this time. And if they're hitting good balls, they're hitting good balls. So, Yeah, w once they get to... I, I would argue that a punter is not an elite punter till like their freshman, sophomore year in college or even junior year. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there's the, the, the small percentage of really good punters coming out of high school, but punting is so hard to master. Um, kickers, you know, a lot of them that are getting to the Division One A FBS level like yourself and even other levels, usually it's just fine-tuning. 
usually it's just fine tuning like one or two things with them, you know? So um, usually when you start making changes is when they go through a rut. And usually when they're going through a rut, they immediately want to say like technique wise, what the heck is going on? And so I would say if it's something that has been consistently going on, then there needs to be a change. But like one thing that I picked up from Carney that I think you need to tuck this away, Brett um, from Carney is if we had a heavy lift day on, on Monday or, or Sunday or whatever, right? Let's just say we had a heavy lift day and the next day we're going to kick. Okay. Is our leg going to be faster or slower the next day? Slower. It's going to be slower. Yep. So never heard this before in my life until Carney said it. If you had a heavy lift day and the next day your tempo is going to be a little slower, your legs swing and your leg speed's going to be a little slower, then you probably need to slow down a little bit when you go to the ball. Because what most people want to do is if they're feeling a little sluggish, they're going to want to try to attack the ball faster. And then what happens is now they're trying to attack the ball faster than normal because they feel dead legged. And now they're going to try to swing faster, but now, but they have a dead or slow leg and the timing is going to be off. And so he, he also used the reverse end. Hey, you're fresh. It's been three or four days since you've done any heavy lifting or heavy workout, you know, so you need to make sure your tempo is a little quicker to the ball because your leg's going to be quick. And so that hit home with me. I was like, Oh my gosh, never even thought about that. You know, like how many times have I worked with guys and they've said, coach, did squat yesterday. Like my legs are going to be a little tired today. I don't know if I want to do kickoffs. I could have been like, Hey man, let's just be a little slower to the ball today. All right. Because let's match up with your way your legs feel like thought that was huge. Wow. Yeah. I've never thought about that. I thought you were going to say something different, but that makes sense. That's interesting. Did he actually put that in practice and like slow down his approach after a heavy lift day? I don't know if, I don't know if it's something that he learned during his career. If someone taught him, um, John Casey was someone that he, uh, I'm sorry. That's, that's David Akers. Yeah. Um, David Akers really liked John Casey. Uh, and he was a phenomenal kicker too. Um, but I, I don't know. John said he's been around a lot of, a lot of talented guys um, that, that helped him out, but that was something that he, he tells all the other free agents that are up in the pros out there um, that they need to be aware of. And I thought that, I thought that made a lot of sense. And when I told that to a few college guys down here, a lot of them said that makes sense, you know? And so, um, and that guy, he, if you haven't gotten John yet, Brett, you need to get John. Oh, we did. We got, we got Carney on a couple episodes ago. He was awesome, man. All right. Great. Yeah. So he, he, he obviously didn't give you that nugget. He did not. He did not drop that, that bit of knowledge. He was, he only gave that to you. Oh, no, I mean, I, that guy probably has a thousand nuggets, man. Like just even kicking cleats and these type of, black slippers that you can put on if it's a wet game or a snow game to make sure the bottom of your studs uh, don't get wet. Um, two other things that he threw out there. Uh, when you're at practice and field goal, let's just say field goal period is 17. Okay. And let's say you do the, the normal warm up with the team, you kick some balls, the returners, and let's say you don't have field goal team. And so another hour and 20 minutes, um, he said what he would do is, is he would put tennis shoes on for the next hour. Why would he stand around in his cleats that he's going to kick with in the game on Saturday and wear his cleats out and also make his feet hurt for an hour and kicking cleats. You got to think there are cleats that 
are shorter. We wear kicking cleats. I'm a size 10. I wear a nine or nine and nine and a half. Okay. Why would you walk around for hour and a half, hour, hour and a half and cleats? They're going to make your feet hurt and you're just going to wear your cleats out. I thought that was brilliant. I mean, something little like that, you know, now granted you have to go chart and stuff maybe with like the special teams assistant or recruiting coach or whatever. But, um, there's times where there's so many times reflecting back at practice that I could have just been wearing tennis shoes and not wearing out my cleats or hurt, making my feet hurt and all that. Sure. Another thing too, that I thought was interesting and it really depends on the, the funds and the football team is a kicking net. You know, if you only have one kicking net um, and, and obviously in high school, hopefully everyone has at least one kicking net. Right. But there's, there's some schools that don't um, or even with younger guys, with with a kicking net you could be kicking one way right your, your team is going one way and they're on offense okay and what happens brett around the kicking net when here's here's the kicking net and we're the offense is going this way and the kicker's trying to warm up what happens around that kicking net yeah everyone all the linemen the offensive linemen everyone moves down to that side and then what happens you know you got you, you hopefully have a coach or someone or you're just yelling at all the guys get out of the way i'm trying to warm up right and it's just pandemonium Right. So John was like, just pick up the kicking net and just bring it to the other side every quarter. And I'm like, like what? That's awesome. <laughs> you know? So, you know, and he was, yeah, and he, you could be yeah. like Marshall and have two kicking nets. Well, right. So, you know, if you're at your level and you have the funds have two nets now, you know, so I would also like, I also like that he said too, that you could do with the two nets, Brett is turn the net the way that your offense is going. And I was, I kind of like in my head, I'm like, why, why does that even matter? And he's like, well, and when he talked it, it was like the way the wind is, you know, if you get on the field and you feel it off the back or the neck with the way the wind is, you want that same thing when you're facing the kicking net before you go on the field. And so I thought that was kind of cool too, you know, little things like that. That's awesome. All right, so we have Harrison Butker here, right? This was this last weekend. Uh, look at the situation. We got it all tied up, right? 2020 overtime. It was a 53-yard attempt. So it's not a you know, piece of cake uh, type of hit. He's going to hit three balls just like this or at a farther di dis distance three times over and over. Um, Brian, talk to us about the mentality and just what you think is going through his head right now. So, like, if I wasn't actually talking to Harrison or if I didn't hear his interview with Pat today, what, you know, naturally what I would say in general is, okay, you know, there's really nothing nothing to lose here. Like, I'm a glass half full guy. You know, I've learned over the years, stop second guessing yourself. So, in this situation for me personally, hey, game's tied, long kick, like, not a whole lot of people are going to be mad at me if I miss this. You know, obviously people want me to make it. So I'm thinking like, I'm, you know, if it's a 28 yarder, there may be a little more pressure there. You expect to make 28. So I'm kind of thinking, Hey man, this is, this is gravy. This is fun. Let's do this. So I'm already kind of looking at the situation. You know, if it's 2017, we're down by three, a little more pressure, you know, but I'm going to have a little more fun with this in my opinion. So that's kind of my first question to you. Um, 54 yard, obviously pregame warmup important and then you're looking at three hours later at the end of the game what's the wind what's the weather elements you know um so i want to make sure that i'm checking that um so for in this case i'm just looking like i assume the wind it, whether there is any wind or not i'm assuming that there's not a drastic wind in my face 
Uh, if I'm Harrison Bucker, maybe that doesn't really matter because he can kick the ball so far. Uh, but I'm thinking if, you know, 50, 53, 54 yards, I'm going to have sufficient distance if I, if I have good contact, if, the, if there's a little five to 10 mile hour wind behind my back. Yeah, and he's got that two-step approach. All right, so let's play the clip and see what happens here. All right, so 53-yarder uh, right to win the game. Just has massive trajectory in it. All right, so yeah, just fantastic trajectory. I mean, the ball tails are it comes a little bit uh, inside on him, but still, he absolutely crushes that ball. And now we got a flag. Right. Yes. Yeah, so penalty flag. So he probably knew it as the ball was traveling because they usually whistle it. So at that point, he's, you know, you're probably thinking like, ah, that was nice. Now the positives are, man, that felt really, really good. Ball flight was good for the most part. <laughs> Plenty of distance and trajectory. Man, I easily had five yards on it. So now I'm thinking, okay, they're about to bump me back 58 to 58. Same concept. Like, hey, 2020. Now I'm back even further. No, you know, the chances of people thinking that I'm going to just crush this maybe maybe a little more slim, depending on the the setting and scenario. You're Harrison Bucker. You're a Super Bowl champion. You've kicked 90 yard kickoffs at camps in the past. All right, so maybe for him perceptionally with other people maybe they're like Harrison you got to make this you know and I'm sure his mentality is you got to make this you know he his mindset right now is just on another level um but I think you know like for the college level right or like others you know again I still think it's 2020 don't have a whole lot to lose here like let's just have fun with this and let's make the kick so it moves it back five um and now they're going to have a chance to, to hit a 58 yarder um because of the penalty I mean, you see his balance, point of contact, good plan. So if you look right here, all right, he's going, he's rolling into what would be a second step, okay? And that foot is pointing straight to this ball, all right? If his foot was pointing straight over here to the holder, it's going to open up his right hip and it's going to open up his right shoulder. So one thing that he does a really good job is when he rolls into to his second step, all right, it's right in alignment to the ball. And that's going to make his um, his hip aligned properly coming in through and his shoulder. It's not going to open up this way, which could cause him to come back and miss left. All right. Nice foot plant. Now, I, one thing I did tell Harrison is that, you know, because it's so hard to find flaws and, and, and issues with these guys at this level, is I do think for a 6'4 body that he does have a, a little bit of a narrow plant. However, he has been able to snap his leg, similar to Tucker, and his foot to ball. It's the exact same almost every time. So he has, he has a little bit of an arrow plant, but when he comes in and snaps his leg and makes leg, leg lock and con foot to ball contact, if he can get that down the same every time, you can, you can handle a little bit of a shallow plant. You know? But to maybe like a young college kicker or a young free agent kicker that, that can't do that consistently, you may want to work on your plant foot being a little wider. So now it's a 58-yard attempt. So actually Harrison had a chance to hit a 58-yarder, and they called a timeout. So this is actually his third attempt. So this is his third kick, all right, and he absolutely annihilates the ball again from 58. You know, I think the track man said it was good from 67 yards. So, again, you know, three kicks in a row, 
Uh, I think just with his mentality and his confidence, he had already hit a 58-yarder earlier in the game. And so for him, you know, it was, just, it was for him, he's probably just on another level. All right, so here's the other situation that was unreal. Okay, 39 to 37, uh, the Cowboys are down with a minute 50 left. Uh, and we have Greg Zerline, Greg the leg, all right, on for an onside kick. Now, when I saw him do this, I saw this live in our office here. My first thought was, what is he doing? Uh, go ahead, Brian. You can kind of move it a little bit up so we can see how he's aligned. Yeah, and then and just kind of talk about, especially with your background, what's about to happen here. All right, so first things first, okay, at the younger levels of football, all right, and, and you need to get verification on your end, Brett, at the college level, okay? What I've always been told, and even being in Alabama, the rules are just so strict in the, in the AHSA. You know, what I've always been told is you have to have uh, the ball physically touching a tee for you to be able to kick the ball. So first things first, anywhere, anyone out there that's listening to this, you need to make sure your rules allow your ball to not touch or to be able to touch a tee or not. Um, but maybe in the NFL, obviously it's different because there is not a tee over here. His football is just on the ground and it's laying flat. All right. And what he's trying to do is he's just going to do a nice little in-step soccer pass and he's going to get this ball to spin this way. And it's naturally just going to spin on the ground up through here. Now, where is he making contact on his foot? Is he hitting it with his toe? Is he hitting it with his instep? And where is he hitting it on the ball? So he has the ball a little bit, you know, kind of kind of sideways here. And what he's going to do is that's his plant foot. But his kicking foot, he's going to come in and he's going to do a, a nice little instep soccer pass. It's like you're putting your foot sideways and you're going to hit just, just hit on the back end of this ball here. And it's going to spin this way and then try to spin back up down, you know, downfield. Is he trying to hit it near the Wilson side over here, or is he trying to hit it, uh, you know, in the middle of the football? He's hitting it like it, like on the other end of this, on mm -hmm. the other side of this ball. He's hitting on to the middle to this tip. Mm -hmm. And when he when he comes and spins this thing, it's going to make this tail, and as it spins, it's naturally going to spin up ten to fifteen yards. The concept of this onside kick, I call it a sidewinder. All right, there may be another um, terminology out there. For me, I've always called it, I did this three or four years ago, just doing around trick shots and just joking around. He's going to spin this ball, and it's, mind you, it's going to hit the ground several times, okay? So as far as the ruling of, hey, the ball needs to bounce two times or more before these guys can hit these guys, well, you're good to go because this ball is just spinning on the ground. So what happens is these two guys, they're, they already know this type of kick. They practice this. They know it's going to take forever to get downfield. These guys probably have not seen this kick before. It's, it's a rare kick. I would argue it's probably the first time it's been done, okay, unless someone just messed it up or whatever. So these guys already know it's going to happen. They know it's going to take forever, so they're just going to run down here and get in these guys' way. And then you're going to have some guys kind of run up here and follow it up and know that as long as these guys don't jump on it, as soon as it gets to 10, I'm about to jump on this thing and, and get it at 11 yards. And, you know, you know, uh, you know, personally, too, and this has been a big discussion on special teams, uh, Twitter, you know, all these special teams coaches have been offering their input, you know, what do you do through the return team as, as the Falcons? Do you jump over and recover the ball? Do you wait until it crosses, you know, and there's been sayings, you know, if it's hot, let it go. And if it's slow, you know, go get it. I don't know. There's some, some acronym for it. 
uh, to me personally, you're going to have to jump on the ball, but go ahead, play it. Well, yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk that real quick, Brick, because you bring up a valid point. These guys probably have never seen this type of onside kick. So when they see this ball rolling, their eyes, they're kind of thinking, oh, this ain't going to go 10. Like, it's dead. And then probably it was too late. It was too late for them to be like, oh, crap, I need to jump on this and touch it. And so really, I mean, it's kind of just, I guess you could say these guys outcoach these guys. Yeah. You know, now do these guys, you know, know that a guy, I mean, maybe it takes a kicking coach to be on their staff to, to show them all the different types of onside kicks that may come. Very know. valid, valid point. Yeah. And the other thing too with that is, uh, you know, they're probably told, look, we don't want to risk touching it if it hasn't gone to 10, not recovering it. And now the Cowboys jump on it because it's now a live ball since we touched it. Go ahead, pause it, Brian, and go back like four seconds. When it's right there, and you and as a, as a return team, you start to see that ball angling past the thirty-five yard line. To me, it's time to jump on it. You know. It's getting dangerously close. Uh, you know, there's uh, Cowboys players in the area. Get on that ball right now. Do not even give them a chance to recover it. Not only are they not recovering the ball, they're not really trying to, you know, get in front of or block any of the Cowboys players. They're just letting it roll. Uh, I don't know if they're thinking it might go out of bounds or what. I, I think I 100% agree with you. I think this guy probably thinks, hey, we need to get on the ball. But this guy's right in front of him. I think this guy's thinking this ain't going 10 yards. And it probably is happening so quick and so fast that he may just not have understood the, the way this ball was spinning until, again, that I think it was too late. And, you know, this guy's in his way, you know, and as this thing gets going, going you know, right there, that's when he should have recognized, as you're saying, oh, crap, this thing's going. Let me just jump on this. And, and I, that's where I think you are right. Like, you got to recognize that thing's – kind of keeps coming up but maybe it just happens so quick that you just didn't know what to do and also you got if you have a kicking coach just as you said before on your staff as a special teams analyst they might show you something like this and say hey notice the rotation of the ball you know notice it, one of the cool things that I've, I've read before uh, was talking about the different sp uh, spins of a punt and it's true if you're a specialist or you know something about specialists you can tell what the ball is going to do by the rotation of the punt, right? If the ball's, you know, a tight spiral and it's turning out for a right-footed kicker, you know as the returner it's going to end up going to your left and fading out to your left. If it's not a well-struck ball, it has bad rotation as a right-footed punter, you know that ball is probably going to end up coming backwards and tailing or is coming left on you. So, um, you know, those, those are things that, yeah, a specialist coach might know and understand. So if I'm the special teams analyst or whatever, right, like this would have been a call. Like I would have snuffed out, okay, there's no T. We've got the ball on the ground, whatever kind of call, sidewinder, whatever, whatever. Now guys are going to know there's a possible chance that the kicker is going to kick the sidewinder kick. All right. Like that's, that's your first clue right there. Now I will, again, defending probably arguably everyone, I don't know if this kick has ever been executed or even attempted you know, in an actual game. I didn't even realize that you could have a ball out there with not, without it touching the tee. 
I've actually practiced it on top of a T because I've always been told the rule is it has to touch T, but obviously not. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And that, that was awesome. All right, so after that, and just for, uh, you know, Greg Zerline, that, that huge kick. And actually, I got in contact, uh, I believe you talked to him too before, Will Rodriguez, who was with the Rams uh, when Greg Zerline was there, and now he works with UCLA. And he said they'd always play uh, Thursday tic-tac-toe with the ball and that was a kick Greg Zerline worked on even back then so that was oh, wow. cool, a cool nugget you know um, awesome. so you're Greg Zerline right you guys just hit this ridiculous onside kick recovered it okay now obviously you're going to your net you're getting ready thinking we might actually have a chance to win this game what's going through your head as you run out 39 to 37 okay with four seconds left yeah, it's it's similar to the other situation, and and maybe we need we need to have another situation to talk about the reverse side. But even though I'm down two points, and you know, I feel like glass half full here. Like we wouldn't have been in this position if I didn't just execute an onside kick, and my team didn't didn't recover it. And now I'm also thinking like this is a god thing, man. Like have have some faith, bro. Like you've been practicing this onside kick since the Will Rodriguez days. Like, and you, and you just did it on prime time with the Cowboys. Like, ain't no way I'm missing this kick. No way. You know, so just trust your, trust your steps, your alignment, whatever swing thought you have, one or two swing thoughts. I mean, and just make this. Cause like, it, this is set up for you to make this. It's just like all the dominoes are falling for you. So, I mean, in this situation, I'm like, this is set up. Like I got this. There's no reason for you to second guess yourself in this situation. It's meant to be. Yeah. First year Cowboy. Somehow in position to win it for Dallas. This is cool, man. This camera angle, too, just gives me chills of, like, running out in the field and, you know, knowing that you control the situation at him. Atlanta was up 15 with 4.45 to play. Lewis so one really cool thing that – um, I've gotten to learn being around all these, these pro guys and, and all that is the pro hash is nice because uh, you, you can have your holder put the mark on this back corner of this hash. All right. And that, that gives a lot of confidence for the kicker and it gives a lot of confidence for the holder because missing a spot and hold is, is, is terrible. If you, if you miss the spot two inches this way, three inches this way, this way, this way, that's detrimental to a kicker. So one thing that's been really cool to see all the pros is using kind of like the back left part of the hash here as a marking. Now, if, if the ball was a half yard up, they're going to be, you know, obviously a half yard up here. And then that's, again, just having to trust your, your holder. So another thing, too, probably in the situation for Greg, and he's been doing this a long time, has, has had great coaches, as you know. Um, but that, that does help, like knowing this is a game-winning kick. Sweet, I'm on a hash. I know my spot's going to be money. He knows that he's going to be confident with this particular kick even more so now that it's on the hash and the spot's probably going to be pretty precise on the, on this back left corner of this hash. So Chris Jones. So obviously, guys, they're indoors, right? So, like, he's just slightly coming in, you know, at an angle. He's, he's, he's not severe over here on the left upright. He's not straight down the hash to the right upright. He doesn't have to worry about wind being indoors. So he's, he's, if anything, he's aiming probably right here on the one. Looks like he's at that angle. All right, as a right-footed kicker at a 46-yarder, if there's any kind of tail, 
all right? It can tell middle to middle left. If he had his angle on like the T and he got into it a little too much on the right panel, he may be flirting with his left upright. Um, if he was aiming on the nine, okay, if he, if he leaves that hip open, he may push it right. And so I think a nice happy medium is between the right upright and the middle on the one. And then if you have really good foot to ball contact and your alignment's good, like it's going to either go down the one or it may tell to middle to middle left. And that's yeah, knowing your swing and knowing your, you know, if you have a fade or something like that. So, you know, obviously it's middle, barely middle left, you know. That's, that's got to be like the best feeling, uh, you know, as a specialist to do both of those things in the last two minutes and win the game. And granted, maybe it's a little different in the NFL, but like, especially in college, make sure you do not get at the bottom of a pile. Like, now granted, when you make a game winner, like the adrenaline is like so high, you know, and, but being on the bottom of a pile is brutal, especially being smaller, like just breathing wise, like make sure you're, and, and also don't jump around and dance and stuff. And, you know, there's been a lot of kickers out there that have torn ACLs j jumping around and dancing, but. Obviously, enjoy the moment, have fun, but um, just don't get to the bottom of the pile. It's awful. All right, Brian. So we're, we're wrapping up here, man. This has been a fantastic conversation here, and I, I think that you have, you know, some of the most knowledge of any specialist uh, coach that I've come in contact with. Um, but, you know, you've met with so many of these different kicking specialists, uh, guys that played in pros in the pros for many years. What is something that someone's told you before that's really stuck with you? I appreciate that, Brett. Thanks so much, man. Um, I, I really enjoy the friendship too. Um, it's going to be, we're going to be uh, lifelong friends, man, talking about kicking stuff for a long time. Can't wait to watch, watch you grow in, in the coaching world as well. Appreciate that. Um, one, one thing that stuck to me was, was Brady Hoke, my head coach at Ball State. Like I had two, two pretty average years, freshman, sophomore year, Ball State um, was steady. That was kind of the term that stuck with me media wise was steady. And so Brady Hope brought me in for, you know, my yearly review, if you will, you know, you go see the head coach after your season, your special teams coach too. And then, you know, after spring ball, you see them as well. But like, so I went into Brady Hope's office and I was thinking like, oh, it's just gonna be a normal conversation, whatever. Um, and he had, his TV up and he had a Boston college clip that where ball state was playing Boston college. And it was a 27 yard right hash kick. Um, we got our butts beaten. Um, but all he did was he said, take a seat. And I, and I sat down he, and he just was looking at the TV and he was going back and forth and back and forth. And he, it was me coming on a 27 yarder and I was kicking and my leg just stopped. And then I would look up and he's like, man, you just, you just look like you're kicking scared. He's like, you're just punch kicking. 
know, he's like, why don't you just finish through this ball? Like, I don't know everything about kicking, but I know you got to get through the ball just like golf. You got to transfer everything downfield, you know, and, and he's just going back and forth, back and forth. And then he put the thing down and he looked at me and just said, he's like, Brian, I don't think you have the confidence that you're giving yourself. I have more confidence in you than you do in, in, in yourself. All right. So that was kind of the quote that stuck with me is like my head coach has more confidence in me making kicks than I actually do in myself. And for some reason that verbiage and terminology like just clicked for me. And then when you throw in the sports psychologist to our whole football team in fall camp, it was like the perfect meshing of words that my junior and senior year, I went from like, again, like a good kicker to a great kicker because of just having knowing that my head coach like had full confidence in me like was a game changer and knowing that he didn't have to know all the nuances of kicking but he knew enough that I was punch kicking and kicking scared that was enough for me to be like dude if like this D lineman coach that looks scary as hell has confidence in me like that's all I needed to hear man like I'm good so again, and maybe that's something that other coaches can learn too. Like, you know, I've seen lots of awesome head coaches that show confidence in their kickers and punters and snappers, and it just makes a world of difference. And so that was something that stuck with me forever. That's huge. You know, that's, that's something I'm, I'm slowly learning too. And we, we hit on earlier, it's not always about being a, you know, a fundamentals and, and this is where you lock out your ankle. It's just being a source of confidence for these guys that are going through stressful situations. And I'm sure that helped you exponentially moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and it's something that I tell kids all the time, you know, young guys. So that's really cool. Well, Brian, I, this has been one of my favorite episodes. Uh, just, you know, purely because the, the great person you are and all the great stuff that you do for kickers, man, you, you, you and Chris, help motivate me to do this so uh again i say thank you where can everyone follow you i know you you have some fall camps coming up uh where can they find out information about that and where can they follow you at yeah sure um guys you know team jackson kicking is, is where i'm at on twitter and instagram and uh you know if you go to teamjacksonkicking.com or nationalkickingrankings.com there's there's a lot of different uh fall camps that we're doing um, we're actually going to be in the Dallas Cowboys Stadium uh, December 6th, and that's going to be a very unique opportunity. So, uh, you know, we'd love to see you guys this fall. I know um, the seasons are, are kind of crazy. So, um, but if anything, what I'll leave you guys with is another John Carney comment is you guys need to be stretching at least five days a week. And what I mean by that, and really what John Carney means by that is, in the morning, you need to take a 10-minute hot shower and put sweatpants on and then stretch. And then at night, you need to take a 10-minute hot shower, put sweats on, and stretch. Snappers, kickers, punters. He said he did that for over 20 years in his career. Yeah, and I remember you saying that, and you actually put me onto that too, is, is you know stretching after showers. That way those muscles are all warmed up and you're staying limber, you're staying flexible and injury resistant. It's awesome. Yeah. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate it, Brian. I hope you have a great year, man, and it's been awesome having you on here. You too, man. Best of luck the rest of the season. Appreciate it. Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions you'd like asked or select guests coming up, follow and send us a message on Twitter and Instagram 
to Iceman underscore kicking or icemankicking at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us and turn notifications on YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud at Iceman Kicking Podcast and rate and review us on Apple Music. This will be important as we will have giveaways going forward. Also, check out our TikTok under the same name for the best clips from these interviews. And tune in next week for another great special teams mind. I'm Brett Arkellian, and for everyone at the Iceman Kicking Podcast, we hope you stay cool under pressure and have a great week.